You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Happy Sunday, everyone. How's it going out there? This is Thomas. This is In the Box. Flying solo for now. We may hail from Walt in just a little bit, but we're going to break down what went on this week around the National Hockey League. So happy to have you with us here on a Sunday afternoon. Hopefully you didn't waste too much of your day watching the Lions, because that would have well, that would have been just a waste. Uh, I went with the Homer Simpson gif, or excuse me, the, the Peter Griffin gif, after it went to 19 nothing, the, the hands in the air at the movie theater, done. Uh, when did, uh, if you gave it any more time than that, uh, I give you a lot of credit. You, you are a better fan than I, and I don't even feel bad about that. But that's what I did today. Let's talk about this week around the NHL. A lot of news and notes that I have taken for you here to get you all caught up on what you may or may not have missed going on around the NHL. We'll start with the good news. How about this? The three stars for the week. Um, Sean Monahan from the Calgary Flames, four games. How about this? Four, four, and eight. Two goals, two assists, or excuse me, four goals, four assists, eight points in four games for the Flames. Really good numbers for him. As he gets the first star of the week, I guess I should have probably built this up uh, climatically and started at the bottom, but oh well, what's done is done. Second, Elias Pettersson. This kid just keeps on playing seven points in three games this week, a four and three spread of those points. He's been fantastic all year long. Remember, he even was injured for a stretch of games and came back and still uh, what had the concussion. I think he was out four or five games with the concussion. And it hasn't really missed a stride. I know he was at a point-per-game clip for quite a while. Uh, so what a start for Peter uh, Pedersen. And then Braden Point from the Tampa Bay Lightning in four games, two goals, eight assists, and six points. So didn't really build that up much, but still the three stars of the week around the NHL, Monahan, Pedersen, and Point. Congratulations to those three. So uh, we'll go there. Let's go. Uh, let's go injury front next. A lot of kind of news and notes on the injury front uh, around the league where we'll start in Dallas where John Klingberg has been announced that he'll be out four weeks due to hand surgery. Uh, big loss for the Stars there as they continue to, or as Klingberg, uh, a rising defensive defenseman around the league. Uh, I believe it was two years ago. I, he was in early season talks for the Norris Trophy can't, uh, finalist. That's how good he had started. Uh, again, I can't, it's escaping me whether it was this season or, or last season. I know, uh, but, uh, still a really, really good player, really important piece down there in Dallas and they will miss him for at least roughly the next four weeks. Meanwhile, Boston's still playing without Charlie McAvoy. He's having a concussion issue. Never really know how long those are going to go on as it tends to be kind of a, a lingering uh, issue and you need to clear protocol and depending on how many you've had you never really know what's going to happen there so Charlie McAvoy out of uh, Boston not the only thing going on in Boston but more on that in just a moment as Boston currently sits in the first wild card position as of right now uh, jumping back to the stars for just a quick minute they're still hanging in there. Number three in the Central, seventeen games in, twenty points on the year, nine goal game, or excuse me, nine wins, six losses, and two ties. So Dallas going to try to stay afloat while going up again, or while losing John Klingberg. 
uh, Andre Palat from the Tampa Bay Lightning. He'll, he's out four weeks, although the Lightning kind of a, a well-oiled machine. I'm not even sure they would know they're going to miss anybody that might be out of time. But Palat, uh, he'll be out the next four weeks as the Lightning currently lead the Atlantic, a three-point spread over the Toronto Maple Leafs. Let's keep this going. Brock, uh, Brock Bozer is back in Vancouver to see a specialist. Uh, he hit, took off or headed home early during this extended or the road trip that the the Canucks are on. Headed home and ended up seeing a specialist. Word is that he's going to be week to week with the groin, and week to week almost sounds like a kiss of death because you just don't. I mean, obviously, you don't know. You're not even saying day-to-day. Day-to-day usually means by the end of the week, you'll see this person back in the lineup. But week-to-week means you're getting evaluated every single week. So you could be you could be back in the lineup tomorrow. It could be four to six weeks. So uh, Vancouver, who who's off to a good start this year, again, Peter, uh, Pedersen being one of the big reasons why, as they still lead the Pacific currently with a one-point lead over Calgary, uh, Winnipeg is all the way down in a wild-card spot in uh, for the Central. Uh, just just throwing out random facts while we look things up. That really has nothing to do with the Pacific. My bad. But Vancouver currently sits on top of the Pacific. But they uh, have the over. Their last game was an overtime loss to Buffalo, and they will be without Brock Bozer now uh, with the undetermined sort of week to week with a groin injury. Uh, Victor Hedman actually in some good news for Tampa Bay. Victor Hedman did return after missing seven games due to injury. So the staple and stalwart on the blue line for the uh, Lightning does return, and it's uh, none too soon, I'm sure, as, as again, they, they lose Palat, but get uh, Hedman back, and I'm sure that's probably a, a positive trade-off for them. They'd rather get the defenseman that can log 20, 25, 28 minutes a night if needed. Tampa Bay is 7-3 and three in their last 10, so as you probably can imagine, not really falling off that much uh, around, uh, despite the loss of Victor Hedman. Let's head, uh, let's head north to Montreal, or I don't know that be. It's actually east, maybe east to southeast would probably be the best way to say it. Uh, as they are dealing two injuries and their typical yearly injury issues uh, just seems to happen every year and. Right now, they're dealing with that without even Carey Price being hurt yet, but he's having confidence issues. So <laughs> I tell you, if it, it's always something north of the border. Uh, but the injuries first, Joel Armia, he's going to be out six to eight weeks, while Montreal's uh, while By- uh, Paul Byron, who may be one of the better uh, waiver wire acquisitions around the league in the last year and a half, Byron going to be week to week that that dreaded week to week that the same thing that uh boys uh excuse me that Bozer's facing Montreal despite all that still sitting third in the Atlantic uh, it was all it was potentially going to be a, a terrible season for the Canadiens and you just almost kind of uh I don't know basically expect Montreal to have a, a terrible season I mean it's terrible to say but uh as as Walt will 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 tell you the next time he's on. Uh, yeah, not a big fan of them or their general manager. This just in, and and again, they're doing this despite a lot of troubles for Carey Price so far in the year. Five and four, five, four, and three on the season. A three oh seven goals against average. A save percentage of eight nine two. He does have one shutout to his credit, but 
the fifth overall pick in the 2005 NHL draft, Carey Price needs to get better. And imagine how much what this team's roster would look like if he was playing better. Again, Montreal just one point behind Toronto for second in the Atlantic and then four points behind Tampa for first in the Atlantic. They need their all-star, all-world netminder to, to pick it up. And Carey Price struggling, struggling right now is on a, a roster spots. Or according to Price, I'm sorry, there was an interview done with Price, and right now it's all mental. He says so that would tell you that the body's healthy, they're good to go, he's feeling fine, and should be able to to play through it but or play through a mental thing, not anything physical. So Carey Price and the Canadiens, Again, also making the news because of an injury as well, or excuse me, in, in terms of a of uh, a retirement, I should say, as Thomas Plakanich, who was traded to Toronto at the deadline last year, signs the one year contract to return to Montreal, and he ends up uh, about twelve games into the year retiring after playing his one thousandth game and scoring two goals against the Red Wings. I think he had two against the Wings in that big game. He gets. Uh, Ends up decides to hang it up, heading home to the Czech Republic, and hopes to pick up with the team there. So Thomas Plakanich, one of the one of the great guys around the league, uh, or, or one of the, the the big vets around the league, and one of the the guys that's been with Montreal for a long time. Thomas Plakanich is going to hang it up. So a lot of early Canadian talk here, and despite all that, still hanging strong so far in the division. Uh, let's go on there and talk about a – where do we want to go? The the big story of the week, I guess, really is what happened in uh, – excuse me, in Ottawa. Well, technically, I believe it happened in Arizona as the Ottawa Senators, who just cannot seem to stay out of trouble <laughs> with everything they went through last year with, with the Carlson and, and – uh, Hoffman debacle and debate and the wives getting involved in that whole story. They trade away Hoffman and Carlson. You you hope for kind of peace and harmony and and what do you end up getting? Well, you end up getting seven guys in a in an Uber uh, talking about the team and the video goes viral. Now, I'm going to start off by saying in in defense of the Senators and and they did get some defense this week as uh, Jacob Voracek actually came out and said. Uh, you know, was was strong and saying, you know, this is something that everybody does <laughs> when you're in in terms of, you know, how many people, you know, NHL players or not, complain about their bosses when the bosses aren't around or they're on their own, uh, kind of doing their own thing, and they're, you know, when it's just you're a public persona, it just gets magnified. As Ottawa, the the players ended up. Uh, in this Uber, the seven players, let's let's run down that list. Matt Duchesne, Alex uh, uh, Formaton, Chris uh, Teneri, Colin White, Thomas Chabot, Dylan DeMello, and Chris Weidman were the seven players in an Uber. It's a big Uber, by the way. I didn't even realize that Ubers were that big. But anyway, those are the seven guys in the Uber. They're talking about basically how their coaches... How they didn't know how one of the things they said, I think, was that the coaches, how do you go from the worst you had the worst power best power play or worst power play in the league last year and one of the better penalty kills, and now they have one of the worst penalty kills in the league, and that the the assistant coaches didn't know what they were doing. It was all about the assistants. I don't remember here because I, I actually watched the video as it, it was out. I mean, it was released, it was it was public, and I don't think they ever mentioned the the head coach. It was all uh, assistant coaches. Um, in this Uber car, um, they they did know 
that they were being filmed is there was a, da- a clearly visible dash cam from from my understanding. Um, I guess to their credit, they knew this was a possibility as there was a, a statement made. A lot of statements always made in this situation. Uh, statement was made as they addressed it before the release. The the seven players had told the coaches that it was out there and that it had the potential of coming out. So the senators were actually prepared for it. Word on the street. I mean, you I, you never know if that's damage control and trying to say, no, no, nothing to see here. We had it handled before anything else. Uh, no, 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 nothing to see here. Just keep on moving. Keep on moving. Uh, don't really know if that's true or not. But again, that is word that has come out of Ottawa. The other thing that comes out of that is that they they did pretty curtly just say that they that Matthew Shane actually I believe was the lead of the 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 seven men that made the statement came out saying you know we did this we're sorry we apologize that's it we're done it's now in a team matter and the senators themselves pretty much echoed that statement now the Uber driver whose name escapes me uh, and really doesn't need any publicity for what he did and we'll more on that in just a moment came out and said that he was not um, in the right state of mind, quote-unquote, when he put, uh, put the video out there, um, that he was upset from a, an incident. Now, I, the way I read it, it was an incident before or an incident with the players and not necessarily uh, anything that happened between the driver and the the players, but he was upset that there was an issue with potentially that insurance wouldn't cover the Uber if something were to happen because of an accident due to the number of people in the car. And then he said he released the tape. So he was frustrated about that. And then he said he released it while intoxicado, which again, nothing you do drunk is ever a good idea. Same thing in the case of this Uber driver. So he also, uh, so that was out and, and, and it's really a shame because, you know, I, I almost, I really do see both sides of this here where, you know, one side saying, if you well well first for the players i feel bad for them because they did the right thing they went out and none of them drove drunk none of them made you know they didn't think ah oh, we can handle this no this that and the other thing they went out in i believe again they were in arizona and that's fine you know i i, I don't know their schedule i'm not even sure if it was before or after a game how long they're in arizona or any of that but you know you do the right thing by not drinking and driving, you, you you call an Uber and then, you know, you get in the Uber, you're a little intoxicado, you think you're out of the public eye because you're in a, in a car with just one other person and everything you end up saying ends up coming right back or coming out in public. I mean, it's just, you know, doing the right thing and you get punished for it. Obviously, it's not right to talk about your coaches, but again, you, you feel like you're out of the public when there's just you and an Uber driver. And and unfortunately, the Uber driver comes out. Now, I guess what a lot of people will say is that, well, you're still in public. There's that one guy. Uh, and obviously, it's you, you just don't think of it. I, 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 you know, I've been in Ubers and I've said things that nothing about bosses is just, you know, stuff I wouldn't want, I think, other people to hear. So you just feel for him. The, the Uber driver was let go by the company. And, and in this story, that just doesn't seem to want to go away. The senators ended up banning the, uh, I believe it was the Ottawa, oh, I, I didn't write it down. I think it was the Ottawa Gazette or Harrow, you know, one of those generic paper names. They ended up banning them from the team flight because they didn't take the video down. So uh, hopefully that's going to draw an end to the story because that's the latest update or kind of change to this 
situation that that I had heard. Um, so just kind of an unfortunate incident. Auto actually came out and won, I believe, their first game after said uh, said uh, accident or incident, whatever whatever your term you want to use. Um, Ottawa currently, again, there was a team that thought some thought could be pretty historically bad on the year. They're only sitting three points out of a playoff spot. And, you know, it, it may seem really weird to talk about playoff spots, but remember, there's the all the stats about being in the playoff chase or being in the playoff picture as of Thanksgiving. Well, we're two weeks away from Thanksgiving. You know, Thanksgiving was two weeks from Thursday. So, you know, I, what is it? I think 14 out of 16 teams every year that are in the playoffs at Thanksgiving stay in the playoffs. So even though we're still not even fully to the quarter pool yet, nobody's played 20 games or anything like that. There's still that sort of, you know, the importance of these early season games. And Ottawa currently sitting at, at sixth would be the sixth, or excuse me, they're sixth in terms of the wild card. So Boston and Buffalo have them. Then it's the Rangers, Pittsburgh, Washington, and the Sens. Seven, seven, and three on the year. They're they're on a one game winning streak, uh, which was a six four victory over Tampa, which I believe is the only game they've played since the the video came out. But they're three five and two in their last uh, three five and two in their last ten. So remember, before that stretch, they would have been five. Uh, let's see here, five two and one, which would have, was a really good start. And I remember uh, last week or, or two weeks ago doing the show. And them saying how high they were. Um, excuse me, excuse me. How well they were doing in the playoff picture in the early going. So we'll keep an eye on this situation, see how they rebound moving forward, uh, and and just kind of uh, just an odd situation, and hopefully something that they can get by. And it's just of all the teams in the NHL, if there was one team, any one team that don't doesn't need that. It was the Ottawa Senators. I think the other big story, uh, I'm sorry, uh, I did, I missed an injury. Darn it, wanted to mention that Eric Hollow, who was stretched off um, the ice from a game for Vegas a few weeks ago, he was actually, though, pretty seriously, it was assumed to be a pretty serious injury as he got stretched off. It was a leg injury, and he's um, going to miss at least three games. But whenever you see or read stretched off, good to see that he's okay. Um, at least in terms of if you're only projecting, you know, the discussion starts with only three games. Uh, yeah, that that isn't that bad considering um, what it could have been. So uh, that's relatively good news for the Knights who have not really had a, a good season so far this year. But it, at least they can hang their hat on the fact that, um, you know, he won't only be out. Uh, or the initial reports are at least only a three-game start. Again, before we get to the second big story, let's stay in Las Vegas. Here is Max Pacioretty. Uh, had to go up against his former team. So we've talked about Montreal. We've talked about Vegas. Now let's talk about the two of them intertwining. Pacioretty has no hard feelings, uh, given his the situation and how it kind of boiled down there in Montreal. He returned to Montreal yesterday uh, for Hockey Night in Canada. Vegas would... End up losing the game to Montreal, a 5-4 decision with Montreal getting the win. Um, it also came out that he said that he never actually, he never was the one that requested a trade, that it was just something that Montreal, I guess, felt like they had to do. So kind of a, an interesting sort of nugget there. I think most people maybe thought that he was probably trying to bail out of there. Not the case in his words. And he was given a huge video, uh, huge ovation 
as you know, they I'm sure they did the whole video tribute and what he's done and yada 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 and so on and so forth and you know that well welcome back members you know thanks to Max Pacioretty and gets the standing ovation and all that stuff so that good to see from the Canadians fans who you would you know I don't know how usually Canadian people are nice but eh, they treat they've treated Max well in his return but the Canadians again get the victory all right now let's go to the second big story and it, it it's almost kind of a follow-up to a story that broke just about the time that we were going on air. We went on air last week. Uh, the Kings fire their coach, John Stevens, and then how about this? In the shocker, Joel Quenville fired out of Chicago, a team that's marred in a seven-game losing streak. Get this. If I would have told you before the year that the Detroit Red Wings, your Detroit Red Wings would have more points than uh, Chicago, yes, it's only by one, but would have more points than the Blackhawks this year, what would you think? And it's just unbelievable. A se- like I said, seven-game losing streak. Uh, well, NHL.com has it listed at five. I've read it at se- it had gone to seven. They lose to Philadelphia 4 nothing last night. Just all sorts of turmoil in Chicago. And and when really, I, I don't understand. I really kind of don't understand how this is clearly a situation of throwing a guy under the bus. In my book, that's all that this is. Because... Look at what you've done to that roster and the amount of talent that's playing elsewhere. Uh, obviously, Tio Teravainen and and um, Artemi Panarin, just two of the many names that were with that team and now elsewhere. Um, you know, you can if you want to throw. Uh, you know, you forget some of the guys that they just kind of. I don't want to say let go, but. You know, and not necessarily guys that are tearing it apart elsewhere right now. I think my Christopher Steve may not even be in the league right now. Trey Brower was on that team. Think about all the depth that this team probably wishes that they had right now, and it's it's basically down to Kane and Taves and whoever's playing with them. Now they're they're lucky that Kane and Taves have kind of had a at a rebound season themselves. After Taves, I think had his worst as a professional last year, but I mean they're getting main contributions and help from guys like. Alex DeBrinket, would you? I mean, that's that's where they're at. Eight goals, seven assists, fifteen points. Taze has actually slowed down a little bit as he was on a point per game clip early in the season, but he's got uh, right now. He sits only with thirteen points in seventeen games. Kane is obviously doing what Kane does, scoring goals, twelve goals in sixteen games. Um, Brent Seabrook towards the top with nine points. Artemi Anisimov with nine, and Brandon Saad with eight. Nick Schmoltz with eight, but. I mean, you just start getting down that list and you, you're looking for names that you recognize for the Chicago Blackhawks and they're just not there. There's just name. You just don't recognize the names. You don't see the balance. And that's really killing this team. And and so you take away, but you blame that on the coach. And, and yeah, you can say, well, it's the coach's job to be better and to, to get the best out of the team. Despite all the changes, but... At the end of the day, you still have to you have to give the coach something, and a, and a coach like Joel Quenville deserves to have something. He's a he's a he's a kind of a veteran coach, or he is he is a veteran coach that works well with a veteran team. So, just I'm just surprised by it. Three cups in ten years, although having a ten year kind of run that's impressive in and of itself. You just don't see that kind of a run in sports, and that again that's a whole other issue. But just something that surprises me. I coaches it's such a instant instant kind of gratification thing and you know i heard something where you know 
get this, in his fourth year, Jeff Blaschel now one of the top six coaches in terms of uh, time with a team. So I, mean, I should really kind of tell you exactly what uh, is go- what goes on around the NHL and with the coaching changes and and just Joe Quenville out in Chicago. And I don't know, uh, as unbelievable as that is, it's going to be maybe Steve Heiserman's first hire when he comes to Detroit. I said it. All right. I said it. I said it fast, and now I'm just going to quickly move on from it. All right? It's out there. It's in the air. We'll see what happens, but I I said it. Uh, um, so let's move on from there. i just not predicting, not calling for it, but both predicting and calling for it. So whatever. Who had good weeks? Who hit milestones this week? Well, we got a couple. Uh, how about Jumbo Joe Thornton? We normally talk about teams that play a 1,000 game. How about uh, Jumbo Joe Thornton playing in his – 15th hundred career game. Congratulations to Jumbo Joe Thornton, a guy that's had a really good career. Um, famously picked on by everybody as a, as an underachiever and as, as a, a leader of teams that have under team uh, uh, underachieved for his time in Boston and San, San Jose, finally getting to the cup finals two years ago before bowing out to Pittsburgh. Um, one of the games, one of the best passes the game has ever seen. Uh, I don't think that's hyper uh, hyperbole. I think that's. I think most people would agree that, that Thornton, with all the assists and all the great years that he's had, now kind of playing in a, a support role as the, the the Sharks have gotten a little bit younger. The torch is pretty much pretty much uh, officially f- past the guys like Burns and remember Carlson's on that team now, Pavolski and Couture. But uh, uh, congratulations again, Jumbo Joe Thornton playing in fifteen hundred career games. One of his forming, former running buddies, Patrick Marlowe, hit a milestone. He had his 600 career assist this week on a goal by Nazem Kadri. So congratulations to Patrick on that feat. And then Lou Lamorello, his 2400th game GMing a team, hit this week. And uh, uh, congratulations for to Lou Lamorello and the longevity that he's had around the NHL. Although when you, when you preside over... Winners like he has, and I think most famous, uh, most famously, Lamorello, uh, the general manager of the, um, he spent time in, excuse me, he spent time in Toronto and with the Devils, where that's where he was most famously known, uh, probably for the Devils, as he was GM there from uh, '87 to 2015. Um, it was the third longest by any general manager in the history of the NHL. How about the two names that he was behind were Con Smythe and Art Ross. Uh, he resigned from New Jersey back in May of 2004 and became the manager of the or general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs about two months later. Left Toronto is currently the general manager of the New York Islanders. And again, a couple of different Stanley Cups in his career uh, with the Devils is. They and they made the playoffs in tw- all but five of his 27 seasons there. Uh, won the Stanley Cup in 95 and 2000 and 2003. Lost in 2001 and 2012. I think one of the more underrated extended dynasties there. I mean, when you consider what the Wings did in that time, and obviously they had the five seasons out of the playoffs, but the Wings with four cups and six appearances, pretty much between, if you want to go from 2012, say, to 95 to 2012, uh, the Devils right there with uh, five cu- or three cups and five appearances. So uh, Lou Lamorello, congratulations to him. 
currently trying to keep the Islanders afloat. And, and I think it was laughable, or most people were laughing, when he said that, you know, he still thought that there were there were pieces in place and that Toronto could still be, or excuse me, the Islanders could still be um, a, fo- a factor this season. And sure enough, they lose Tavares and the Islanders not uh, don't improve their goaltending situation, which Walt and I frequently mention is, you know, who's going to, how are they going to get better when they give up about three and a half goals per game? But Guess what? They're sitting third in the Metro with a very respectable 8-6-2 record, 18 points in 16 games, plus 7 in the goal differential, which is really saying something. I'm sure Barry Trotz has something to do with that, for sure. And uh, they've played 10 games on the road so far and only 6 at home. So they're going to have a stretch where it's going to turn around and they're going to spend some time at home. Not even really sure how much uh, of a home ice advantage Brooklyn is, but... uh, the, the Islanders, I think, one of the teams that are up doing above expectations or performing above expectations thus far in the young season. Not so much a milestone, but still a great story as Brian Boyle, a man who has suffered uh, a type of cancer in his career, scores an, uh, a hat trick in Hockey Fights Cancer Night. And, and I believe this is just kind of a I'm going to have to go back and check, but I believe Brian Boyle actually has done this a couple of different times on Hockey Fights Cancer Night, where I think it was a year ago or two, he ended up scoring, I think it was a hat trick. I want to say, or no, this year, obviously, he had the the hat trick, but um, what was it? I think he had a game-winning goal or a shootout goal or or something like that. Um, It was chronic... uh, Mylungus leukemia, a form of bone, uh, blood, and bone marrow cancer, adding that, adding not only was the cause of his absence over the summer in training camp back in 2017, but it is a form treatable by medication, and I believe he's 100 percent that his leukemia was in uh, was in full molecular uh, militia, uh, remission. I beg your pardon. That was announced back in October of this year. So um, good to good to see. Kind of a good a good story there. Well, last year in 69 games, 13 and 10 for 23, and he gets the hat trick on Hockey Fights Cancer Night. Just kind of one of those just really, really good, good feel-good stories. Um, let me see. Actually, back on November 9th of 17, I might have this story here. Boyle all smiles after scoring emotional goals. We're reading from the USA Today here. I, I, I believe it was Hockey Fights Cancer uh, Night again. Uh, Brian Boyle... <laughs> Erupted in a giant smile after he scored the first goal of the season uh, Thursday night against the Oils. And again, it was the 7th of November. So I believe that was uh, he fights cancer night again. So just just great, great luck there. And uh, or not luck, just a great story there as Brian Boyle. Uh, good to see him still playing around. As, it's tough to say as a Red Wings fan, considering all the trouble that he gave the Wings in those series against Tampa. But uh, Brian Boyle. Uh, good story there is he gets a hat trick on Hockey Fights Cancer Night. Stop me if you heard this. Uh, the Flyers have a goaltending issue. And again, uh, could have been in the injury section, but we'll bring it up here separate. Uh, Elliot's out. Neuvert's on IR. So they're down to goalie three. Calvin Pickard is the Flyers netminder. So if you can believe it, the Philadelphia Flyers with goaltending issues it it just seems impossible <laughs> that every year there can be some sort of discussion about the flyers and goaltender issues 
And sure enough, this year, no different as they are now playing without the uh, their starting netminders. Just unfair situation for them. And the reason why I say it's unfair is because the Flyers are actually having a good year. Uh, Phillies come out and they're sitting ahead of the Islanders. Probably not something you would have expected, but they are sitting in front of the Islanders in terms of standings in the NHL. Um, or at least I should say in the Metro Division, tra- both trailing Columbus, and they're now relying on Calvin Pickard, not what they drew up, I'm sure, um, when they put together their depth chart. Trying to stay afloat there as long as their two netminders are out. I- Elliot is on IR. Neuvert, uh, actually, wait, let me check that. Yep, ne- Elliot's out. Neuvert was put on IR. Big difference there, so um, they've got to be hoping that Elliot will be back soon. So far, though, in the on the season with the Flyers, Pickard a three one and one record, save percentage of point eight six five. Ouch, ouch, eight six five. Oof. Goals against the average a four four one. Yet three one and one. So go figure that one out, huh? Uh, let's see his. There's got to be one balloon game in there, right? Ooh, there's a couple balloon games. He gave up four on 18 against Arizona in a win. Uh, that was on the 8th. And then he gave up two on 36 against Arizona. Gave up four on 35 against San Jose. And gave up six on 28. In a game against Columbus, ishk, 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 ishk. The game against Arizona, he was actually pulled, and so the Flyers then see who they go with in their victory last night. As they again, as we said, got the victory over Chicago. I believe Elliott may be back in the lineup now. Uh, check that. Yeah, Brian Elliott is back as he got all thirty-three. And then in the relief against Arizona, he had six. He was perfect sixteen for sixteen. So he's made. He's been very good this year, Brian Elliott. So maybe it, maybe I should come back on that a little bit. Right, well, nine oh nine has goals again so far in the year, which is oddly enough as same. Or, or excuse me, nine oh nine is safe percentage. This is the exact same safe percentage as last year. Goals against average is two point six seven. His goals against average last year was two point six six. So. I guess basically Brian Elliott, you know what to expect from him, but he has been really, really good um, in his two games since returning from injury, allowing no goals on 49 shots in relief appearance over Arizona and a victory over Chicago playing all 60 minutes. So we'll see if the Flyers can get or keep him healthy and then have Kelvin Pickard uh, just work with him in a backup role. Uh, from a story that we talked about last week, let's move it along. Just want to mention that uh, Brandon Lemieux was suspended two games for his hit on Trochiak. We mentioned last week that they'd have a his uh, hearing was coming up, so Lemieux suspended to ended up getting suspended for two games this week for his hit um, on Vincent Trochiak. Of course, Lemieux from the Winnipeg Jets. Also, kind of from the school of hard knocks, or the shall we say the. Uh, the uh, uh, principal's office. Let's go with that. From the principal's office. Milan Lucic was only fined $10,000 for, 
uh, damn near four cross checks to the head and just just general bad behavior by Milan Lucic. He he's been I feel like he's been relatively quiet just in terms of bad behavior since going out to Edmonton. I you know, this is this is where Walt shines <laughs> because he's just so good at with with remembering when things have happened. But I know Lucic just a brutal player in Boston. I feel like he's been a good citizen out there. Um since joining the Oilers and projected, I think, as a as a running mate and protector for McDavid, I'm pretty sure that's exactly what he's doing. But he was fined and agrees that the hit on uh, on the Lightning rookie was a retaliatory hit, as he was trying to teach the rookie Matthew Joseph a little bit of old school lessons during the Flyers or excuse me during the Oilers five two loss to the Lightning back on Tuesday night. So fined but no suspension, which I think was kind of surprising. I was a little surprised anyway that that it wasn't a suspension for uh Lucic. If you get the chance, go ahead and pull it up. But I it, it's the it's the first cross check and then the, the third and fourth after that. That that really makes it look uh pretty bad. But Lucic only ends up getting uh, a ten thousand dollar uh fine on that one. Another speaking of kind of illegal hits and conversations that have blown up as a result of them, how about TJ Oshie? taking the hit to the head from Evgeny Malkin. Uh, Malkin getting, I believe, was booted from the game against the Capitals. And then Oshie, with under two to play, gets the game winner. So what a night for TJ Oshie in their Wednesday night rivalry game. And or They're not calling it rivalry night, which is good because it's, you know, well, they had the cap, they, they've had non-rivalry games, but good games. I mean, they had the Caps in Vegas, and you'd want to see that being a Stanley Cup rematch. So it's just Wednesday night hockey, and and it was the Penguins and the um, Capitals this week. And Ovechkin and Crosby scored, tied at one forever. Oshie will get, gets the game winner the, to make it 2-1. to one. And again, this is after he takes a high, hard hit early from the uh, diminutive Evgeny Malkin. So I don't know if he's really diminutive. It just felt like the right word to say right there. Uh, let's stick with Pittsburgh where Jim Rutherford Threatens changes coming if losing continues as as Pittsburgh kind of stagnant out of the gate and I, you wonder are they are we about to see what happened with Chicago happen with Pittsburgh? Um, it's a little early to say that. Obviously, they're you know conference finalists last year or in a second round uh, was when when uh, the Capitals got them. So I mean, it's not like they are falling apart or anything like that, or they're free falling. But it thing this stuff happens slowly. You know, back-to-back cup wins, then they get knocked out by the Capitals. And currently in the East, they are sitting, as we mentioned a few moments ago, behind the Rangers for fourth in the wild card. Now, they're only three points back with two games in hand um, of the of the second wild card team, the Buffalo Sabres. But they're only 3-4-1 and one at home. They're better on the road, obviously, with a 4-1-2 and two record. But they're 5-4-1 and one in their last 10. They did respond with a 4 nothing victory over Arizona their last time out uh, yesterday. But change is potentially coming here for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And, and well, part of the problem is, is that it's, it's not Crosby and Malkin, which is what you would expect. How about this list? Between Broussard, Hagland, Rust, Shan, and Sprong, only four combined goals for those five players in 14 games. You know, Kessel... Malkin, Crosby, as we mentioned, Latang, 
these guys doing what they're doing. I, I read an article earlier, Latang, maybe one of the, uh, the uh, an early candidate for the Norris. But the rest of the kind of committee, now I know Broussard's missed time, but you can't just do it with top-line players, and that's something that they are seeing right now in Pittsburgh as they are struggling at this point in the young season. Um, oh, boy, I still got a lot of notes here. What else, uh, what else do we may not tell you here today? Uh, also, well, the Kings, as we mentioned a few moments ago, too, they made a coaching change earlier in the year. There could be more changes coming there. They are the second oldest roster in the NHL, so I don't really know where you're where you're going to be making changes. Believe it or not, the Red Wings are the oldest roster in the NHL, but they're going to continue to get younger and younger. So I think when you see Erickson and Cronwell drop off in the next two years for probably guys like Hironik, say RV, any any of the defensemen that are young that come up and, and take those spots, I think those two holdovers will really be make a difference. And, of course, Thomas Vanek on the one-year deal, but... I digress. Bigger changes could be in store for the Kings, although some of their con- those contracts almost impossible to deal. Uh, it'll it'll be interesting. We'll we'll see what happens. So keep an eye on Los Angeles to see if there's any sort of fire sale going on um, in L.A. Uh, Arizona, as we mentioned, losing four nothing to Pittsburgh. They are also facing another injury bug that we mentioned as uh, Antiranta, their netminder, headed to the IR. So Arizona, who's not been bad, terrible this year. And are doing things shorthanded at a at like historic rate with the way they're scoring shorthanded. They're seven seven and one on the year, which again, you know, well, five hundred. What do you say? You know, you're gonna be that happy about it? No, they're not. They're plus three in the goal differential. Um, so that's a, obviously a good thing. Uh, being plus three in the goal differential, and again, five hundred for them, considering the start they had last year, which was just awful. Um, currently they're in Washington. They're actually playing a game right now against the Capitals, but, um, good job there is Arizona starting to get some pieces, gotten a little experience with Galchenyuk and Stefan in the, in that lineup. And so far at the end of one, they lead the, uh, Washington, Washington Capitals in Washington. Um, looks like there's a bunch of games that are available today on the NHL, uh, network or on the NHL, uh, not on the NHL network, but on the NHL.com that are listed as a free game that you could watch. So if you're not doing anything tonight, tune in to one of the games that's available on NHL.com. But again, Antiranta also, as we've missed in the uh, in the injury section a few moments ago, uh, headed to the IR for the Arizona Coyotes. Let's head to St. Louis where Jake Allen said after a 5-1 loss to the Wild that they've hit rock bottom. Uh, good story out of St. Louis is that Robbie Fabry got his first goal in 23 months, a, a guy that I remember watching when he first kind of broke in. I believe it was uh, early on. It was uh, I, He may have joined the roster during a playoff push the, the year that the Blues went to the conference finals, and it just seemed like you knew he was on the ice every time he was out there. And then back-to-back years with some pretty severe injuries have kept him out of hockey, but... Good to see Robbie Fabry getting back on the scoreboard. But again, the Blues, they had won, excuse me, that was earlier this week that that Jake Allen said that. They rebounded with two straight victories, including a 4-0 victory over San Jose. So I want to get this in line here. So the two straight victories kind of got things, hopefully, for them turned around. They did lose to Minnesota today. Um, but in 14 games, 15 points on the year, 6-5-3, it's, 
you know, that's a sign of a good franchise when you, well, it was after 12 games, they only had 11 points. So that two game winning streak, definitely skewing it a little bit. But when, when you're saying that you've hit rock bottom after a five, one loss where, yeah, they're sitting on the outside looking in, but the expectations are higher. Um, you know, you're you're not having statistically the worst season. You know, it's you're not in the red and the goal differential. They just flipped that this week. So again, little little misleading, a little late to be talking about it. So we'll see if the Blues can kind of turn around after Allen's comments. They did win two straight before again falling today to the to the Minnesota Wild three to two. I believe that was actually their fifteenth game. So they right now at a point per game paces pace as they sit in fifth in terms of wild card standings with Winnipeg and Edmonton at one and two out west. Uh, Edmonton making some news as they sent Puliarvi and uh, Yamamoto down to the AHL. Two of their high draft picks have been demoted. Um, Edmonton, as we said, 16 points or 16 games played, 17 points so far on the year. And currently, two of their prize possession. Now, Puliarvi was a top ten pick uh, within the last um, last draft or two. I want to say it was the seventeen draft, maybe the sixteen draft. Uh, please hold as we click away. You're not. See if they're even going to be still listed on the rosters here. Connor McDavid, you will not be surprised to hear, leading the Edmonton Oilers in probably every statistical category known to man. Um, as he continues to keep on keeping on. But uh, McDavid currently with 23 points in 16 games, 10 of those goals, 13 assists. Try to settle with 10 and 7. Nugent Hopkins with 3 and 14. So that's 23-17-17. After that, the next closest forward is Tobias Reeder, who's got seven points on the year. So Edmonton looking to balance things out a little bit. I'm sure they'd love to get some assistance there. Um, but again, let's go ahead. As they sent sent down two different guys, Jesse uh, Pugliarvi, the 20-year-old. So far on the year, he in 11 games, one goal, no assists, minus five. This after last year, 65 games was 12 and eight for 20 points and only minus one. So the 20-year-old Pugliarvi is sent down. He was the, oh, of course, how could the Hockey Net database not come out and tell you right on the main page bio what pick he was? Isn't that, that's the only thing people even care about. What was that? So Puliarvi anyway, and then the Yamamoto, the other player who was sent down. I, I believe this is his first uh, stint in the NHL. As I'm having wonderful experiences with a browser right now. Just great job. Thank you, Google Chrome, for breaking on me twice during the show. That's part of the reason why you've heard da 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 It's because I am had to restart Chrome. Here we go. Back up again. Uh, so there was Pooley Arvey's numbers. And we're trying to get you the info on Yamoto, but Edmonton, the big story for them, they're at least hanging in the playoff picture, and I, I got to believe that that's what's most important to the to the Oilers, and I don't think anybody's going to really care, so we're going to move it right along from uh, the numbers for Yamamoto and head to the next guy, to a guy that is actually starting and playing well. Tia, Timo Mayer 
hot start in San Jose, you know, you have th- four guys were, I believe this was as of two nights ago, tied for the league leading goals. And one was Kane. That's a pretty well-known guy, uh, name. One was McDavid. Again, that's a name that most people know. But how about Timo Mayer, who had 12 goals as San Jose, benefiting, I'm sure, from having guys like uh, Carlson and Burns making lead feed. But Mayer, who really needed to step up with them, uh, you know, quickly flipping Hoffman. And and obviously, the second year um, with Marlowe being gone, it seemed like it always seemed kind of like such a I don't want to say stale roster in San Jose, but the same names and and finally you know Hurdle came up with the with the with the with the fanfare and the four goal night and the goal between the legs on Lundquist, but now it's a different player uh, coming up and really helping this team out. They 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 resign a Vander Kane, uh, who's having a, a a fine start to the year as the San Jose Sharks. Are led by Brent Burns, three and seventeen, but Timo Mayer having a, a good ERA year, twelve and five, or a Cy Young year, twelve and five for seventeen. Logan Couture six eleven for seventeen. Hurdle five and nine for fourteen and fourteen games played. Kane with eleven points so far in seventeen games. Uh, LeBanc and, and Donskoy there as well. Pavolsky seven goals, no assists. How about that for Joe Pavolsky? Meanwhile, Carlson flip it. Seven assists, no goals, and a minus 11. So some odd numbers here. Thornton in eight games, as we mentioned earlier, two goals and two assists. So San Jose, some good numbers here as the Sharks are getting help from everywhere. And they are in the Pacific, I believe, still sitting on top of the Pacific Division despite the loss to St. Louis, the four to nothing shutout loss. The Sharks still sitting very high and in a very prime position in the Pacific Division. Got another milestone here we want to mention. 700 points were hit for Zach Parisi, uh, the Minnesota Wild forward who started in New Jersey. Congratulations to him for a milestone there as well. Little uh, random news and notes around the league. Uh, it looks like Willie Nylander trade talks, depending on who you talk to, they have either started or continuing. Not really sure which is the truth, but potentially Toronto seeing that this may or may not happen. And I believe it's a, we're December 1st deadline where if he's not signed or isn't playing, he's out for the entire season. So kind of keep one eye to that situation down there in Toronto for uh, what's going on there. The NHL reached a settlement in a concussion lawsuit. They will pay up $18.9 million in that settlement. Bill Daly announced that NHL teams in Europe almost inevitable, which I'm disgusted by, and not <laughs> disgusted, okay. That's a strong word. Let me tell you how I really feel. But it's just, I don't know, the National Hockey League, the National Football League, Major League Baseball, all these leagues here, the four major sports, they all seem to be going international. I just don't see how it's going to work with with time zones and and just well, I, I it's a six hour flight to to Europe, and so from from the East Coast, I don't understand how you're going to have San Jose flying to Sweden. Uh, but is that probably going to be a ten hour flight from say San Jose to to Helsinki? Is Helsinki in Sweden? Helsinki's in Finland, isn't it? Sweden. Uh, whatever. Anyway, I digress. I'm trying to think of the map. I want to make sure I get a Swedish city, and I pick all the cities in Sweden. 
And now I'm completely blanking on it. And I'm sure there's probably multiple people shouting, you idiot, that city, that city, that city. And I'm blanking on all of them. Has Lindstrom got a city name that's room yet? Anyway, I don't see how that's going to work. I mean, you'd have to, you couldn't just have one game out in Europe. You couldn't, I mean, could you imagine San Jose flying to, to Sweden? Um, as I'm pretty sure Helsinki's in Finland. Um, flying to Sweden, playing a game, and then flying to, let's say, back to New York to play the Islanders and the Rangers. I just, I don't know how that's going to work. You know, teams in, that are going to London right now to play for, in the NFL always get their bye the week after the trip. So I don't know how that's going to work when eventually you're going to have to play back-to-back or the team is going to have to fly um, from London to San Diego, play a game, and then come back and play because you can't have a bye after every trip west. I don't understand how that's going to work. Uh, you know, the NBA, they're expanding into China. I couldn't imagine them thinking that a team's going to go there. Um, I think Major League Baseball, the only team that, you know, discussions maybe into Canada, which obviously not that big of a deal. So, I, again, I don't really get how that's going to roll, how stuff like that happens where you think, okay, let's move here. But Bill Daly coming out and saying that it, it's only a matter of time and it's inevitable, which I, okay. Well, it's, I guess maybe it's one of those things I should worry about and when I and, and believe it when I see it. Um, just want to correct something I said. San Jose not leading the Pacific. They're in third in the Pacific, though, sitting right kind of in the playoff picture there. At, at uh, They would be going up against Calgary if the playoffs were today. And again, I know that sounds laughable, but remember, there's that, that kind of famed stat about how teams that, teams that are in the, the playoff race at Thanksgiving – and we're only two weeks away from Thanksgiving, so San Jose firmly entrenched with an 8-6-3 and three record overall as we kind of jump around and back and forth. Uh, if you get a chance to YouTube the goal between that happened between the Senators and Golden Knights this week, where it was counted as a goal, um, Craig Anderson, I believe it was either Thursday or Friday night, um, Craig Anderson was being interfered with. Um, in front of the net, they ruled that he determined or he initiated the contact and he was out of the crease. The goal stood for the Knights, which made it gave them a two goal lead. I believe the goal was by Belmar, the collision by Carrier, if that sounds right. Go ahead and get to the YouTube. I'm happy that's a goal. That needs to be a goal because it looked like um, I actually watched it before I knew what the um, what kind of the conflict and even the outcome was. It just it was literally the article. The heading of the article was was you know what's your take or should this be a goal or not? Um, I saw it and thought absolutely because it really looked like Craig Anderson initiated the contact. That's exactly what it was determined. And so if you get a chance, head over and see that goal between the Vegas Golden Knights and the Ottawa Senators, and and you can kind of play judge on that. Um, reason why, and we don't usually get into politics, and I'm not even going to get into them here, but. Reason one reason why the system is in trouble, um, or you, if you feel that the system's in trouble, this following little tip here won't help make you feel any better. Gritty, the scary ass mascot for the Philadelphia Flyers, he got fourteen write-in votes during the election campaign or during the elections on Tuesday. Fourteen people wrote in Gritty for various offices in Philadelphia, a mascot. That's 14, got 14 votes. Even though he scares children's nightmares to the depths of their soul, he apparently is good to be a state senator or representative. Go figure that one out. 
Last thing we want to bring up here in the first hour of the show. Boston going to be without Tuka Rask as he has taken an indefinite leave of absence from the team. He has requested a leave and he was granted that leave of absence. Um, Tuka's numbers, you know, he, he's been a goaltender. Uh, well, yeah, he's been a goaltender. You like that? A much maligned. He's been uh, fantastic, yet he has not been able to carry the Bruins to the promised land, which I, I, I know has kind of been the expectations for him. He's had really good top-notch seasons. He's he's had seasons where he's really struggled. This year, obviously, being a season where he's really struggled, a 901 save percentage, a 305 goals against average, only 4-4 four and four on the year. When you compare that to years, Lafolak, who's played the majority of the games outside of, of Tuca, or actually all the games, it looks like it's just the two of them, 5-1 and one on the year, so that's 9-5 and five overall. Um... Uh, that doesn't work. I'm sorry. There it is. Halak has had two overtime losses as well. Um, but Halak only with a one eight six goals against average, a save percentage north of nine four. Uh, Tuka needed to get his head head tied on straight, and he actually has requested and been given a leave of absence. So keep an eye out on that situation. Um, again, Boston sitting now. I believe it was in the first wild card spot. But how about this for Boston as well? Some kind of odd numbers here. Uh, you know, just kind of as we click over there. David Backus, 11 games, no points. Nolan Achari, 15 games, no points. Uh, Kevin Miller, only one assist. Kind of the struggles that they are getting in terms of balance. Sean Corrales, who I think everybody thought might have taken off after some big playoff goals against the Maple Leafs. He's got 1-1-2 and two in 16 games. Danton Heinen, Heinen, who had a, such a great year last year, 1-3 and three with 4 points on the season. Charles only got 4 points in 16 games. But then you get to the top of that list and just Bergeron, 24 points in 16 games. Pasternak, 21 and 16. Marchand, everybody should just go Marchand with 19 points in 16 games. And David Krejci holding down the fort, helping out offensively with 2 and 12 for 14 points in 16 games played. I want to go back to Tuka and Halak. And I, you know, starter versus backup numbers. You know, I I do always want to bring up or or like to mention that those numbers can be sometimes a little misleading. Where you may look up at a backup numbers and see that they're better to potentially significantly better than the starters. Well, remember, normally in most situations, Rask is going to play. You know, Tampa, Washington, Pittsburgh, and Halak is going to get action against. I'm sorry to say it, but Detroit. Arizona, the Rangers, teams that that don't really aren't really up there. So their numbers tend to be could be better than the starters, but it's because of the, the level of competition. So that's really alarming to see Halak though a full goal per game better than Rask and nearly 0.4 percent higher on save percentage. So um, best to Tuka Rask. Hope he can get it figured out. Return to the Bruins soon. Never been a guy that's really bothered me. Yaroslav Halak is a guy that's had an up-and-down career, but has uh, been very good. I mean, overall, uh, Drew um, had five, gave up five goals against in a game against Vancouver, but then only gave up one on 41 against Toronto uh, last night in a victory for the Bruins, um, handing Toronto their first road loss of the season. Again, on, it, on his career, Halak, um, 
443 games played, 237 wins, 151 losses, 50 overtime um, ties, goals against 249, 916 save percentage, about good numbers. That's pretty much it. Good numbers. How you kind of expect to hang around in the league. Those are the numbers you kind of have to have. For a ninth round pick back in 2003 for the Canadians, not bad at all. You know, it's funny in that last game that Tuca played, it's kind of a, a shootout kind of game. And he said that he was literally just hoping to keep the opposition under 10. So it gives you kind of a, a, an idea of how rough it's been for the the Bruin netminder, the main Bruin netminder. And pretty much if your name isn't Pasternak, Bergeron, and Marshawn, they're showing you what a top flight team can be. It was Vancouver. It was an 8-5 to five game against Vancouver. Uh, it was the game that Rask was talking about. Also, a little bit of a note here. Boston will be playing Vegas shortly. Um, I believe that game might be in v- Vegas. Is... No, I'm sorry. That game is in Boston. So I, was, I, I do my best Boston accent there, and it's the only word I can say with an accent. So that kind of gets you a look around the league. Folks, we're going to step aside. When we come back, we'll bring it home, spin it local. The Detroit Red Wings coming alive, looking good. Let's recap their week. That was. We're going to step aside. You are listening to In the Box. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Thomas. Maybe we'll hear from Walt a little bit later. Stay tuned. We're coming back after this timeout as I fix the radio and get the music for you. All righty, folks. Welcome back in the box. Sorry about that. Really wanted you to hear uh, I Would Die For You. Wanted you to hear it twice. The great Minnesota native prince. Uh, and passing last year maybe two years ago now, just remember, always remember. All right, let's bring you back in the box. I'm Thomas, uh, flying solo today as Detroit. Let's take a look at what their week was like this week. How about this? 3-0 this week. Yeah. Curly fries, five five games this month, five games of curly fries. Team that was 4-8-2 now sitting at 7-8-2. Just saying. Let's recap this game against the Canucks, a game where Jimmy Howard was spectacular um, and Detroit kind of drastically outshot. Again, shots aren't always the greatest metric, and, and I'm, I'm reporting a lot of stuff for you today without, without getting a lot of visuals. It's a busy week in my world, so I do just kind of have to mention that this is more reporting as opposed to adding on, but... Again, do you really care what shots are if you get the victory? Do you really care how? I mean, is this? Here's the thing, because I got I got into the discussion with a friend about this, and this isn't the final incarnation of this roster. Okay, this isn't this isn't a roster that I've expect we expect to compete. This isn't a team that we expect to make a run to the Cup Finals. Um, it, it it's just not. This is a rebuild, and rebuilds take time. Um. For instance, Dennis Shalowski, all those rookie defensemen, he's the kind of last man standing back there. He's been great, don't get me wrong, but you started with f- four or five really rookie defensemen, one made it, and that's that's fine. That's fine, but that's how prospects are. You know, me, I'm not calling it a career for Heronic and, and Hicketts and guys like that, so don't don't mis- mistake what I'm saying there. But I mean, that's the kind of thing that you got to you got to look for is, you know, prospects takes time, you know, Mantha slowly but surely. You know, Rasmussen just getting his feet wet. Athanasiu, 
starting to look a little bit better and better in terms of numbers too. So a little bit more consistency in the game. So, I mean, that's kind of what we're talking about here. So, you know, I'm not super concerned about things like, like shots on goal or scoring chances, because here's the thing. If, if they're winning, despite those numbers, no, it may not be sustainable, but it means they're not quitting. And that's, what's important to me. You know, they started out with what, what were they? Five, oh, five and two before they won the first game in regulation or something, something along those lines, or before they finally won a game, I should say the fact that they may not be winning ugly or pretty, the fact that they may be falling behind. I don't care. You know, they're, they're not giving up. They're not giving up on the season. They're not giving up in a game. I think your coach deserves some credit for that. You could say, well, the the amount that he deserves for that can be pulled away because of the slow starts and, and whatever the case may be. But I'm not going to apologize for a win. And I'm not going to be angry with him for winning, especially against good teams. And that's what Vancouver has been so far this year. They are they're nine six and one, or they were nine five and one going into that game. Detroit, like we said, four eight and two. Vancouver started the way you'd expect Vancouver to start. Peterson scoring his te- or Pedersen scoring his tenth from Louis Erickson and Gold- uh, Goldman getting his sixth assist at the thirteen thirty nine mark of the first, and it was one nothing Vancouver. Uh, that we'd say that way until Ben Hunt would get his third from Good Branson and Goddat at eleven twenty one of period number two to make it two nothing Vancouver. Then a big goal on the power play by Justin Ablocator. And really, it was an unassisted goal because it looked like it was a, for sure going to be stolen <laughs> and going to lead to an odd man opportunity. Or, excuse me, going to be stolen and cleared. But Ablocator just took it away from the Vancouver player who had possession before he could clear it and fired it up over Markstrom's shoulder. His third of the year, power play tally. It was 2-1 at the 1343 mark. Then, how about this? We have Gustav Nyquist sighting with a goal. Nice off Nyquist got a second of the season from De La Rose at 137, and we would be all locked up at two goals apiece. Um, a wild overtime, which was just they're just so fun to watch. <laughs> I mean, I did get it get get enough time in to, to be able to see the overtime, which was just fantastic. The three aside. Love that. Um Detroit and Vancouver, though, do not score in the overtime. Only, so we head to the shootout, and in the shootout, only one goal scored. It was scored by Dylan Larkin, the first shooter. Jimmy Howard with Stone Pedersen and Gold uh, Goldman and Horvat for the Canucks and the pa- Pistons. Panthers? I don't even know where I was going with that, Pete. The Red Wings would skate away with the 3-2 overtime victory, which I assume means curly fries. Uh, it's three goals. Doesn't say that it's got to be three goals in regulation or in overtime. It just says three goals. So Nyquist with the goal in the game also had seven shots in the game too. It's very active scoring. Uh, Looking at the minutes per game or minutes by player Larkin. We like to see stuff like this. Um, Larkin, the only forward playing over 20 minutes for Detroit as Ferk and N and Megan were all under 10 and good sign here or kind of what you'd expect going with the hot hand. If you're playing and you're rolling and you're shooting, you get to play. As Nyquist got 19 minutes, 26 seconds. I, you know, I I, I can't remember a time that Nyquist had over uh, 19 minutes a night. Over had 19 minutes in a night for Detroit. Meanwhile, defensively, 
Uh, leader in minutes was Danny Kaiser at 23, just a hair over 23. Green and they, excuse me, Green and Daly were both over 22. Cronwall just a ha- uh, just a hair under 20, while Chalowski and Jensen were both below 19 minutes um, in the game. Howard again, 30 of 38, got both shots he saw on the power play or on the penalty kill, I should say, and a 9.52 save percentage in that game for Detroit. Overall numbers, Vancouver with 42 shots, Detroit with 30. Face-offs, Detroit 57%, Vancouver 44. I don't know how that happens on NHL.com, how the face-off percentages will combine to be 101%, but okay. Detroit 1 for 2 on the power play, while Vancouver was 0 for 3. Detroit 27 hits, Vancouver 24. Block shots 15 for the Canucks, 11 for the Wings. Giveaways were locked up at 10 apiece. So Detroit gets the victory over Vancouver on Tuesday night. Uh, they improve again to five, eight, and two at the time. Canucks fall to nine, six, and one. Get a couple days off while at home here. As word come, and I believe it was after that game that word came out. Kind of Jeff Blaschel mentioned it that I think his exact quote was something about that Little Caesars is no longer feeling like a museum. That there's bodies in the seats. Um, that 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 he felt that there was a there was an energy in the building. Um. A couple of people that I talked to or, or her talking about the game said that there was even some let's go Red Wings chance going, which, you know, if you watched this, the earlier in the year, you weren't hearing a lot of those. So, so you know, fan giving something to the fans, something to cheer about. Obviously, very, very important. And the Wings get the victory and two days off. They end up next coming in the New York Rangers during this extended homestand. No scoring in the first period. In the second period, again, Detroit would fall behind um, with two power play goals scored by the Rangers. Let's see here. I hate the NHL scrolling. You ever try to scroll through stuff on NHL.com? It's the worst. Wings, boy, their faceoff number. They got to be towards the top of the league with faceoffs. I tell you. It seems like every game that we're reporting and their percentage is just fantastic and no different here. But we'll get to that. Hold that thought for just a minute. In the, Okay, so we start no goals in the first period. In period number two, Shattenkirk would get his first of the year after being healthy scratched at some points earlier in the year at the 17.53 mark to make it one nothing New York. And then while... On the man advantage. Well, let's see if I can figure out if that was still or again on the man advantage. Neil Ponk. Pionk. Pionk. Great name. Just a great name. Oh, how great is that name? Um, gets the power play goal. Um, it was only a couple of seconds later. I believe it was about 30 seconds later. Yeah, 1753 and 1833. So 40 seconds later. Um, that one was assisted by Zabinajad and Bichnevich. Uh, His uh, that that's actually go. Let's go all the way back, shall we? Because this I'm butchering this one. No scoring in the first period between the Rangers and the Red Wings back on Friday night at Little Caesars Arena. Detroit no scoring through the first 15 minutes of period number two, and then Detroit would commit. A penalty, at least one, as, again, um, internet issues are slowing me up here. How dependent on the internet we are. 
really annoying. Not going to lie. Let's go to a box score. Here we go. Slowly coming up. In case you missed it, this is my fault. Maybe I should have been a little bit more prepared. Anyway, the Rangers would get back-to-back power play goals in the second period. As Detroit would get, here we go, a four-minute penalty to Jacob De La Rose for high-sticking. Finally, I knew I'd get there eventually. De La Rose gets the four minutes for high-sticking. So, you know, you get the two power plays as a result, and the Rangers cash in as Shattenkirk would get his first first from D'Angelo and Hayes, and then Pionk, uh, Pionk would score his third from Zabinajad. Zabinajad. And Bichevich, Zabinajad's eighth assist, Bichevich's third at 18.33, and we would go to the locker room after 40 minutes with Detroit trailing 2-0. Um, you know, they, they like coming back, so let's keep coming back. This time in the third period, Justin Abdelkader would get his fourth goal, 148 or 146 into the third period to make it 2-1. to one. Gustav Nyquist, his 12th assist of the year. And I tell you, you normally want your wingers to be scorers, goal scorers, but Really good stuff with 12 assists for Gustav Nyquist to go with the, the two goals, the second goal that he scored in the game prior. So Nyquist really uh, helping to set up goals, and that's a good thing. Hey, you'll take points anyway you can get them. We would stay at 2-1 to one all the way until 2-0-2 left in the hockey game. That's when Andreas Athanasiu uses his speed, gets to the outside, and gets the goal from Nielsen and Kronzen. Nielsen's seventh assist, Cronwell's third of the year, and at 17-58, Five, fifth goal for Athanasiu makes it 2-2. Two to two. In the extra session, again, this extra session I was able to see more of just outstanding three-a-side hockey. Fun all around. Good saves by both Howard and Lundquist. But Dylan Larkin redirects a pass from Athanasiu um, home. Green would get the secondary assist. It came at nine, uh, 4.54 of the extra session. Larkin continues his strong play early in the season. His seventh goal of the year. Again, a redirection home past Lundquist, who looked pretty upset coming out. And Detroit would get the victory, a 3-2, second straight 3-2 victory at Little Caesars against the New York Rangers. Let's take a look at some of the uh, in-depth numbers here. Um, 24 minutes played by Pionk uh, in that game. How about this? The least minutes went to Brendan Smith, who actually, I believe, scored after getting his pocket picked. Um the Wings got one of their goals after Smith turned it over. Ah, so used to that. Um, Shattenkirk was second lowest in minutes with 19-11, while Stahl had 19-20 in minutes played. So a little bit of youth there as D'Angelo, uh, Brady Shea, and Neil Pionk actually led the Rangers in time on ice. Meanwhile, four at your Red Wings. How about this one? Larkin played 24 while winning 71% of his face-offs in the game and scoring the game-winning goal. Um, in this game, everybody else with the extra session, as you would expect, another 19-minute plus game for Ny- uh, Nyquist. Everybody played over 10 minutes except Marty Furk, who only saw the ice for 7.33. Again, pretty much everybody in that that range between 10 and 20. Uh, Athanasiu, 15.35 of ice time, 2.06 of it on the power play, a goal and an assist in the hockey game as he assisted on the game winner, as we mentioned. Nielsen with an assist and a two-point night uh, for Nyquist with the goal and the assist. Or, no, that's, ah, I'm looking at the wrong cat columns. Darn it. Athanasiu was the only player with two points in the game. I apologize. Meanwhile, defensively, and again, it's, 
I actually like seeing this. This shows that, you know, who's going? Who's going tonight? Same five defensemen or same six defensemen as the, as the last game. This time it's Green at 23.35 and Chalowski at 23.19, leading the way in ice time. And the Kaiser third at 22.09. Daly didn't play 20 minutes. Cronwall played only 16.10 or 17.10, while Jensen played 16.19. So more minutes to go around because they basically played a full five minute overtime. But still, a really balanced attack and you, you, you or defenseman different group of defensemen with hot, more more ice time than the prior night and that's a good thing to see as Jeff Blashill kind of mixing it up giving different guys the look Jimmy Howard was perfect at even strength getting 21 to 21 but the wings gave up some power plays so total he got 28 of 30 for a 933 save percentage he has been fantastic for this team this year um, again, maybe not fantastic for any team all year, but fantastic for this team this year. Again, final numbers on this one, 20, 31 to 30 of the shots on goal faceoffs, 55% to 46%. Again, how do you not get hundred percent on that? Thank you. NHL.com. The Rangers got those eight shots and just three power plays opportunities where they were two of three. The wings were O of two at the man advantage hits in the game. 27 for the Rangers, 23 for the Red Wings. Block shots, 15 for the Rangers, four for the Wings. So look at that number there, 15 block shots. So that's 15. Just, again, there are posts and wides, so keep that in mind. But in terms of shots on goal and blocks, Detroit would have then actually had 46 of those, while the Rangers would have had uh, just 34 with the four blocks. Wings need to get in the way of more shots, though. Detroit, 24 giveaways. Ouch. To the Rangers, we're only credited with nine. Who was just giving the puck away all night? Let's see. Uh, pretty balanced, actually. Nyquist was credited with three. Two for Bertuzzi, De La Rose, and Larkin, and Helm. Maybe maybe it was a different statistician keeping track of these. Green, Cronwell, the Kaiser all with two. Daly with three. Must have been. Must have been a different statistician keeping tracks on the NHL.com. Being very heavy anti-wing. But didn't matter. Larkin get the overtime winner. And Detroit would end up getting... A second straight win, they would improve to six eight and two, while the Rangers would fall to seven seven and two, and that takes us to Saturday night. Well, the numbers aren't good, but you know what? Again, what the numbers matter when you win? Although Carolina is just shots galore for Carolina. To be fair, I mean they fifty five fifty two thirty two were the final shots in this game, and it's what Carolina has done all year. I mean, Carolina, I mean, I, I know at one point during the season or where we talked about it, where I believe they were averaging 43 shots per game a couple weeks back. So that not really sure where those numbers sit as of now, but it, it, it's what Rod Brendamore has kind of preached to his team, uh, shoot the puck, <laughs> and it's been successful for them, relatively so. They got off to the hot start, cooled a little bit since, but. Let's get to what happened in this one. Detroit would start with the one nothing lead. Andreas Athanasiu with the first goal of the hockey game, his sixth of the year in period, and it would cash in in period number one. That would make it one nothing Detroit. Um, and that would be answered, though, with a goal by Brock McGinn. He would score uh, later in period number one to make it a 1-1 game after 20 minutes. I believe shots, if I remember correctly, were 16-12 after one, I want to say. Because I was able to, it was kind of scoreboard watching here, in, a, in addition to all the other great sports going on. I was calling a game myself, but in addition to all the other great sports that were going on, I uh, wanted to kind of keep an eye on this one, and I believe I saw that stats after one in this one 
or shots after one in this one were uh, 16-12 in favor of Carolina's favor. Uh, as we said, I, I forgot to mention that 8.04 was the time of the Athanasiu goal assisted by Jensen and Nielsen. Um, McGinn's goal was assisted by Fleury and D. Giuseppe, Giuseppe the Mich- University of Michigan product, at 16.40. We go to the second period, a period dominated by the Hurricanes, and they would get two goals to go along with it. Michael Furland would get his eighth of the year. That was a power play tally. Uh, that one occurring uh, or getting the assist on that one. Aho would get his 15th, Baltero Vino would get his 10th, 835 the time of that one. Dougie Hamilton would then answer or get his third. Ahos would get his 16th assist. Tara Vinan would get his 11th. Stop me if you've heard that order before. That came at 17-1 and 17-01, I should say, and Detroit would trail 3-1. Enter Anthony Mantha. Big third period from him. He would score his fourth goal of the season at the 603 mark. Our 604 mark of period number three, Athanasiu and Nyquist on the assist, and three minutes, well, two minutes and 58 seconds to be exact, exact, exact. Mantha would score again from Helm and Larkin at the 902 mark, and Detroit had drawn even. Let's go to the shootout. Detroit are actually shooting first. Carolina, Jacob Slavin, nothing. Dylan Larkin, nothing. Brock McGinn. Missed. Franz Nielsen, the best shootout percentage in the history of the NHL. Scars! Sebastian Ajo, save. Jonathan Bernier, victorious. Despite Scott Darling's acrobatic, two of the greatest saves, or two two or three of the greatest saves in a stretch of hockey you're ever going to see, if you didn't see it, you have to, have to, have to, have to. Go find the Scott Darling saves. Um, I believe they were in the third period. Um, I, I mean, they they were, they were gift GIF'd. They were turned into, uh, gifts to be seen. Cause that's how good they were. Just some just remarkable, remarkable saves by darling. Go find them. Do yourself a favor. You will be shocked by how good these saves were. Um, so if you get a chance, take a look at those, um, un- unbelievable stops by darling in the third that actually allowed it to get to overtime. But again, Detroit's Franz Nielsen gets the shootout winner and Detroit would, despite being outshot by 20, 52 to 32, despite being, I'm sure, pretty much outplayed by a Carolina team that outplayed him here at the Joe, uh, or the Joe, whoa, at Little Caesars, gets the win four to three. And we would get curly fries again. Um, In terms of minutes on ice, Michael Rasmussen, uh, four nine forty one and Martin Firk nine twenty six. Those are the only guys under ten. Um, Dylan Larkin with twenty two fifteen and Anthony Mantha with twenty eighteen. Again, we've mentioned it. We just mentioned it. Who's going? Mantha gets two goals. Mantha ends up playing over twenty minutes. Mantha also had five shots in the game. That's what you want to see. You're earning ice time. You're getting it. Nyquist with an assist. He was plus two in the day. He saw 17-13 uh, of ice time. Wade Megan, who drew back into the lineup, 10-46 as Jacob De La Rose was out of the lineup for this one for the Red Wings. And then defensively, Mike Green getting almost 25 minutes of ice time. DeKaiser saw 21-32, while Daly saw 20-03. So now Daly's the third leading minute getter. Chalowski saw 1834. That was behind Crownwell's 1854. 
while Nick Jensen, who had an assist in the game, would be out there for 17-39, including 3-13 of time shorthanded. Meanwhile, for the Hurricanes, anything that really jumps out at you again, uh, uh, Phil DiGiuseppe was the only one under 10 minutes. Jared Stahl was actually the only one over 20 minutes as he saw 22-30. Sebastian Ajo, 18-03 with his two assists. Defensively, if you're wondering who sees big minutes for Carolina, well, Jacob Slavin saw 26-35, while Justin Falk saw 23-15, and uh, Pesci saw 20-39. Scott Darling got 20 or made the uh, officially, I should say, 29 saves on 32 shots. While the big win there, Jonathan Bernier gets 49 of 52, a 942 save percentage in the six minutes or in the 65 minute game. And Detroit would end the week going three and zero. Final numbers from the game. Again, as we mentioned a couple of times, Detroit outshot 52, 32, but out faced off again. They win the faceoff battle, 55% to 45%. So what was the three games? I believe it was 55, 55, and 57, the three faceoff percentage numbers for Detroit. That's good stuff. Penalty power play minutes, Detroit 0 for 2. Carolina was 1 for 5 with the man advantage. So that also will help be a spread difference when you have a three power play shot different or a, a three power play difference. Hits in the game, Carolina credited with 35, Detroit 28. Blocks this time, Detroit was getting in front of the puck as they blocked 20, gave up, or had 12 shots blocked, which, again, if you add them together, 72 towards the cage, not uh, answering, not um, counting what even went wide for Carolina, but Detroit would only be at 44. Giveaways 8 for Detroit, 7 for Carolina. Got that giveaway number down, which is obviously good to see, and Detroit would end up as we said, getting their third victory of the week as they pull to seven, eight, and two on the year. Um, I, I think I did the count yesterday or this morning. They're currently then ranked. It, it would have them ranked at uh, what was it? I, th- I think I saw twenty third. If you were to organize the uh, the whole league by points, which I mean, considering how long it took them to get uh, to the three point mark, uh, you'll take that. I mean, that's to me, that's good stuff. You know, fighting through, battling on, playing on. Uh, it's just really good to see. I mean, I, I'm not, I don't want to make it sound too great. I I understand what's going on here. They're, they're 16 points. It's basically the bottom of the Atlantic division. They are, they're three ahead of Florida, who's now also not played as, as many as Detroit because they took this trip to Sweden. They do have winnable games in front of them against Arizona and, um, Arizona and Ottawa this week, at least. And, you know, Buffalo currently sitting in that second wildcard position. Boston in the first wildcard position with 20 points. Detroit with 16. Um, you know, Boston's played 16 games. Detroit's played 17 games. Buffalo, they've played 17 games. So, you know, if you were looking, if we were in mid, let, let's put it like this. If we're in mid-February and we were saying that the teams were only, the team was only four points spot, four points out of a playoff spot. Think about how thrilled you'd be as a Red Wing fan. Well, that's basically where they're at. You know, they're four points out of a playoff spot right now. They're three points out of being the worst team in the division. So there's that. But, you know, again, and it may seem ridiculous to talk playoffs, and I'm not talking about the Wings making the playoffs, just general playoff discussion. Um, you You can have it in the NHL in November because of, again, that common statistic of what, of teams that that are in the playoffs as of Thanksgiving have a tendency to end up in the postseason. So, you know, if Detroit 
I believe it was a couple of years back. They were four out the last year of the 25 year streak. Um, so again, it's, it's, it's there. It, it's, it's right there. Um, so just, you know, yes, that they keep winning. And again, actually three winnable games this week, the, the 15th or the, excuse me, on the 13th, they go up against Arizona at little Caesars, 730 start time. That's uh Tuesday. Thursday, they head to Ottawa to play the Senators again at 7.30 start time. Quick turnaround, though, is then they play at 1 o'clock next Saturday in New Jersey. New Jersey, a team with numbers below them in terms of overall points. So three games that are either on level or just below the Red Wings level um, in overall competition, and, and they've got it rolling a little bit. So I don't want to blow it up and say it's a huge week for Detroit, but boy, it, it could potentially be. It could be a big week in Detroit for Detroit if they can get some wins here because coming up after this stretch, um, they basically play the who's who of the Eastern Conference with Boston, Washington, Buffalo, Columbus, all playoff teams. We talked about St. Louis's troubles, but then they get Boston, Colorado, Tampa, Toronto, the Islanders, uh, the Kings come in, which hopefully the Kings will still be down. Um, the Rangers, the Senators, and the Islanders all up before December 15th. So... Tough times are coming, but possibility here for the Wings to maybe pick up some more points. And how big would that be as this year continues to roll along? But uh, enjoy the 3-0 weeks when they come, as they happen this week, and enjoy the curly fries as they come. Remember, anything over three goals, and you're getting curly fries. Folks, thank you so much for joining us today on In the Box. That's going to do it here as we talked about the Red Wings. We talked about what's around the league. We took a look at what's coming up this week for the Wings. Has three games again, one at home, two on the road, all with teams that are at or below kind of Detroit in the point race. So, with any luck, Detroit can kind of get it going or keep it going as they have officially got it going. Only one game below 500. Again, you've been listening to In the Box. I'm Thomas. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll talk to you next Sunday here on In the Box.